Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After today's terrific rebound with the Dow gaining 603 points, S&P surging 2.38%, and the Nasdaq pole vaulting 3.01%, this market's keen eye for the obvious may have run its course. I'm talking about the relentless run in the reopening place, the stocks that will thrive when America is fully vaccinated, something that's looking more and more like a spring issue now that J&J has entered the fray. Yes, Johnson Johnson's one-stop shop vaccine is much easier to distribute than Moderna's or Pfizer's. And CEO Alex Gorsky laid out a fabulous timetable this morning. He's talking about getting hundreds of millions of vials out there in just a few months. Well, that makes me think we're much closer to the end of this long national nightmare. So it is time to unveil the less obvious reopening place. If only because the more in your face ones feel a little bit overplayed, don't they? I mean, these people running in, uh, running these companies, they're not dummies. This morning, I saw aggressive buying in Royal Caribbean around 355 to 415. I mean, that's the cruise line that reported another week quarter. No kidding. They gave you a great forecast for 2022. So what happened? CEO Richard Fain cleverly raises $1.5 billion in stock by selling 17 million shares at 91. Why not? Royal Caribbean has had a huge run and they need the money. Still, it's harder to recommend these straightforward reopening plays when you know that you could get hit with an equity offering at any minute, even as you did okay if you bought on that deal, which was pretty rather amazing. It didn't go down a lot. The other obvious group is the airlines, but their balance sheets are in tatters, and I expect any one of them to issue equity at any given moment. I want no parts of them. I've been recommending Boeing and Disney, and I think they both have room to run. Boeing just got a huge order for 25 new 737 Maxes from United Airlines. By the way, that was a gigantic surprise, even though people acted like, oh, they yawn. I mean, hey, you know what? United Airlines is anticipating boom in air travel. I think that's smart. They know more than you. If that's the case, you want Boeing, not United, because United needs money. As for Disney, it's so obvious that I don't even want to dwell on it anymore. At least we get a pullback, maybe. So tonight I'm unveiling a brand new list. This is a less in your face, but possibly more potent reopening plays since they're all being ignored even though they should have had a great year if we can just get back to normal by June. Now, by the way, none of these stocks is, 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 is low, 
Okay, I'm just saying that they're not considered reopening place. So we're going to start with one that people think is a closed closed uh, economy stock. And that's not true. It's square. This has a popular peer-to-peer payments platform, Cash App. Terrific point of sale system is tied into the small business lending platform. Oh, and just tonight, breaking news, they're announcing that they're opening their own bank to create a more, what they call, holistic experience. And that's gigantic news that I, I have to tell you, I think the analysts are going to crow about it tomorrow. Now, about 150,000 restaurants have gone under because of the pandemic. But for the first time in ages, big cities have reasonable rents. And rent was always the killer for the restaurant industry. Now, people grumble about the minimum wage or food costs. But as someone with two restaurants, trust me on this, OK, it's the rent that's the killer. With rents down and lots of people eager to go out again, I'm betting we'll see a restaurant renaissance with people eating out rather than ordering in. And that's perfect for Square. Lots more in-person transactions using their hardware. And they can also make a mint by lending money to the ones with the best prospects. And now these same people will bank with this new Square bank that I'm talking about rather than their current bank. One piece of the puzzle. Square bought a bundle of Bitcoin at about $10,000 for the cash management. And it's now closer to 50000 Huge home run, and they just bought more. Remember, they're actually using it as what I say it should be. You should have some cash if you're running a company, and you should have some Bitcoin. I know that uh, only Square seems to agree with me, but I don't care. They're smart guys. Even better, Square's cash app platform has become the easiest place to buy Bitcoin, which could be huge now that cryptocurrency has become a worldwide sensation. They got on this bandwagon all the way back in 2018. I know people are buying a dollar, they're buying $100 of Bitcoin, and they're all using the Square app. Maybe you should too, okay? I am pro-Bitcoin. Thousands of younger people are doing this. Second, less obvious, this is an idea that I haven't talked enough about. Ralph Lauren. Granted, this one's already on the 52-week high list, but I think it's got a lot more room to run. Ralph Lauren used to uh, use this downturn to close its underperforming stores. They took advantage of the downturn while betting heavily on direct-to-consumer and digitizing its advertising. Their big pivot toward TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube brought a whole new demo to the stores. I know the stock has run, but can you imagine how well they'll do once people feel comfortable shopping in person again? Now, think about like this. L Brands is up 52% for the year, and they're not even fit to shine Ralph Lauren's shoes, even as RL is only up 16%. I got another one that we just have not talked enough about lately. That's Ulta Beauty. All right. This cosmetics retailer really managed to hang in there during a very difficult period. They crafted an app that shows you how you look with certain colorations, and they pivoted hard to e-commerce. But this is the year when Ulta moves into Target, a store within a store. Okay, starting with 100 locations nationwide. I am telling you this move is not in the numbers, nor is the fact that they have a tremendous partnership with Estee Lauder. One of the reasons I no longer worry about American department stores is they sell it in Ulta. If Ulta can make this much money with its business completely hampered and crippled by the pandemic, think about what they'll do when you can go to the stores and try on makeup and not worry anymore. Fourth idea, Federal Realty. Okay, this is the best shopping center real estate investment trust. Company never cut its dividend, even after a raucous conference call where they challenged the CEO, Don Wood, and everyone pretty much said, come on, come on. He would not say uncle. Wood believed that his mixed-use shopping centers could get through this difficult period. Eventually, he's going to be the last man standing in the shopping center business. It's not too late to buy Federal Realty. 4% yield at a time when long-term treasuries are only paying half that. Finally, I'm a big fan of Ford Motor. Now, I know there's a everyone knows there's a semiconductor shortage. I mean, you know, everybody there's is there anyone like, you know, you walk down the street, you know, about the semi shortage and it's going to limit their production, which cuts off some of the upside. That's the bad news. The good news is once everybody knows something's baked into the stock price, why do I like Fortier? As I mentioned before, I'm predicting a small business renaissance coming out of this pandemic thanks to pent-up demand and much lower rent for commercial properties. If we get a small business renaissance, we need pickup trucks. And the best-selling pickup in the world is Ford's F-150. Next year's going to be electrified. I'm going to get a couple of them. 
Just kidding. Just kidding. That's hubris. In the past, this far-flung auto company couldn't seem to get out of its own way. When the U.S. sales would catch fire, they'd be dragged down by weakness in Europe or maybe Latin America. But the new Ford, the Jim Farley Ford, it no longer tolerates losing money as, uh, as part of some misguided attempt at world domination. You're finally getting the opportunity to own the stock of Ford without having to worry about big charges or horrendous numbers out of some country that they had no business operating in. And that's gigantic. Think of it as the ultimate small business company backstory, the bottom line. At this point, the in-your-face reopening stocks, the cruises and the airlines. I mean, can we start swapping out of those and go into some less obvious? Go into Square, Ralph, Ralph Lauren, go into Ulta Beauty, go into Federal Realty, go into Ford. These aren't exactly stealth reopening stocks. They're more like the purloined letters hidden in plain sight. And I bet they'll seem a lot more obvious as they go higher in the next few months. Gerald in Alabama, Gerald. Gold high, Jim. What's going on? Really enjoy your show. It's been informative and a lot oh, of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about uh, Kimberly Clark. Uh, Ex-Dividends Thursday. Look kind of weak going into the close. What are yeah. your thoughts? Well, look, I, the quarter was actually okay, but no one wants a stock when the economy's accelerating, even if it yields 3.5% that's doing fine. I actually think you can buy this one and put it away at 3.5. Uh, I was, you know, the quarter wasn't all that bad, but people hate this. They hate all these stocks. They hate Clorox, and I like Clorox. Now I'm going instead of Gerald, now I'm going to Gerard in Connecticut. Gerard. Good evening, Jim. Big Good evening. from the great state of Connecticut. Now, there you go. You got the 55. You can get the shot there. I love that. Right. Yeah. It's good news for us. Uh, what do you think of Macy's? I know they had great earnings. Uh, they beat estimates. Uh, what do you think the stock? I thought Jeff did a good. Jeff Kinnett did a good job. I think the credit card's doing well. I know that people are talking about buying out, uh, pay later. I think that the stores are good. Uh, the only issue here is that the stock has roared and is now up 36. percent But when you see how high Kohl's has gotten, Macy's can go higher. Macy's is more fun to shop at than Kohl's, I think. I shop at both of them. How about Chris in Florida, please, Chris? Hey, Booyah, Kramer. Thanks booyah. for taking my call. Absolutely chill. What's uh, up? Yeah, I just, just wanted to uh, call about TMO, Thermo Fisher Scientific. It's coming down nicely. See, what you have to look at a Thermo Fisher, and you say, okay, it's down 80 from its high. It's almost never down. It's almost always at its 52-week high. And that's when you have to pounce. Now, a lot of people feel that because the pandemic may be running its course, all their machines, the PCR machines, will not be making a lot of money. I come back and I say, all right, look at Zoom. Everyone said that Zoom was done, right? Is Zoom really done? Is Thermo Fisher really done? No. Might take a little pain, but it's fine. Okay, now look, it may be too late to invest in the obvious reopening place that those guys run at three. I don't know, they use like we, you know, they use that thing at four o'clock. They love it. I watch them just to see what they're doing because they're like really interesting people who trade at four because I have insomnia. I don't know what they have. But anyway, it's important to recognize that there are other stocks besides Royal Caribbean, all right? It didn't, Royal Caribbean is not up here. I like Square, Ralph Lauren, Ulta Beauty, Federal Realty, and Ford. On Man Money Tonight, with news that the Biden administration is laying the groundwork for an infrastructure bill, I'm asking Martin Marietta, CEO, what it could mean for the biggest infra play in the world. Then last week, we saw bond yields rising, the market got hammered, but today it's singing a different tune. So how should you approach the averages? I'm going to go off the charts to find out. And time to sail away with SailPoint. Come sail away with me. I'm going to sit down with the CEO, find out the digital renaissance could be good news for the stock. Renaissance, I like the way the British talk. They're so cool. And didn't they win like a lot of awards and stuff last night? Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Doing these sinful stocks have just been catapulted right into the atmosphere. I mean, take Martin Marietta Materials, long one of my favorites, the supplier of building materials like aggregate, cement, asphalt. Here's a stock that's up nearly 40% since the election, making a brand new all time high today as Wall Street bets that a Democratic majority in Washington will pass an infrastructure package. You know, look, I totally get that. That's what the president wants. Meanwhile, Martin Marietta's business is already on fire. The company reported a blog quarter last month, thanks in part to the booming housing market. And yet, the legal benefit is the economy reopens. While the stock's far from cheap, it's 25 times earnings for a rock company. Martin Marietta held an analyst meeting, which was so good. Management laid out their long-term case for owning their stock. This is a very consistent company. So let's go right to the source with Ward Nye, the chairman, president, and CEO of Martin Marietta Materials. He had a better read on his company's postures. Mr. Nye, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, delighted to be here. Good to hear your voice. All right. So, Ward, the first thing I think you need to tell people that I was studying, what a great analyst meeting. This is, even though it's aggregates, you have one of the most consistent companies in, the, in, in any exchange in the world. You know what? It, it's a very resilient business. It performs well in up cycles. It performs well in down cycles. And one thing that performs well in our business is pricing. We tend to get good pricing all the way through cycles, including in downturns. But part of what we're seeing now, and I think what people are excited about, Jim, is I think we're entering a period of time where private construction and public construction may both be moving up and to the right at the same time. We haven't seen that for a long time. 
And keep in mind, we haven't seen a significant increase in federal infrastructure investment for almost 15 years. So what you've seen is record performance in a business that really has been doing it without a big shipment volume lever that we typically have had through prior cycles. We think that's what's ahead of us. Well, I think it's important for people to know uh, your idea, which I just absolutely love, of going after where the growth is. I mean, you've got these, these mega regions, and if the mega regions work out, even without, without infrastructure help, Ward, you're going to have a big next three or four years. Well, Jim, what's important, and you're right, we've been talking about mega regions and their importance now for about a decade. So what we've been focused on is if we're looking at where growth is going to occur in the United States between now and 2050, 70% of that growth is going to occur in about a dozen different mega regions across the United States. And our aim has been strategically to position our business in those mega regions and not just in them, but with leading positions in those mega regions. So if you look over time, what's happened, we've gone from a one or two position in about 65% of our markets a decade ago to a one or two position in 90% of our markets. But what we think is important as well, Jim, is we still think there's white space in a number of these mega regions for us to continue growing our business and consolidating the industry. And our balance sheet is in a position that we can do that. Well, I mean, look, I was stunned. There's a moment where you're talking in the analyst meeting and you're talking about I-35. Now, I'm not aware of I-35. This is just a great tutorial that it's in Texas and it's bigger than the state of Pennsylvania. And there's more business being done in that one area than there might be in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that really is a striking number, isn't it? I mean, to to think of I-35 that's actually running down the middle of the country, but bisects that enormous golden triangle in Texas that starts with Dallas-Fort Worth at the north coming south and west to San Antonio, back to Houston. But I-35 is really running right down the middle of that corridor. And to your point, there are more people that live on that corridor in Texas than live in Pennsylvania. And, of course, what you're seeing is great housing growth and non-residential. But then Texas also has a very impressive infrastructure program. So that's a trifecta. Well, when I look at the states, I mean, the Colorado thing was also a great tutorial, North Carolina. I start thinking, OK, what will the federal government do? Let's say the federal government commits. Are they going to redo the interstate? Are they going to do tunnels? Are they worried about climate? Maybe they're worried about climate change and like in what happened with Texas and they want to spend there. I don't know where the federal government's role will be, Ward, and they need you because I don't think they know. Well, I, I think I, I think you're right, Jim, in, in many respects. I think the other thing is no matter what they do, they're going to need our products. So if they're building major highways or bridges, they're going to need crushed down. If they're improving secondary roads, by the way, which need considerable improvement, if we're looking at accident rates across the United States, the highest rates are occurring on secondary roads. But here's an important one to note as well. If we look at what happened last year as some of the tax credits for wind farms went away, mm-hmm. we actually saw volumes down in the Midwestern United States to the tune of a million tons over the course of a year simply because people weren't building as many wind farms. So on the green initiatives that we think could well be coming, we see those as actually very significantly aggregates intensive. And keep in mind, as we do confront climate change as a nation and as a world, resilient construction is going to be an important part of that. And the aggregates in in concrete that you see in parts of our footprint will be important elements of resilient construction. You know, Ward, look, I really want the federal government to be involved, but I thought it was really incredible that there were three companies that felt to me like states, Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, when it comes to wind. These are gigantic users of your product, aren't they? No, well, they are in, in so many respects, because what we're seeing, too, the data centers that we've seen 
in the Midwestern United States, one, are very significant. But the other thing that I will offer to you, Jim, is they don't just build a data center. They build then phase two and phase three and phase four. And the other thing that's notable is they are incredibly aggregates-intensive projects as well. Number one, they're just big. And, right. and number two, they tend to be, in many respects, almost a concrete envelope. So big trucks are coming in, and, and they're setting these buildings up for a very durable run over a long period of time. Well, Ward, look, it's great to have you on the show. The the amount of things that I learned from your analyst day, you, know, you come to these things, you think you know something. I felt like I was a neophyte. You had just told it all. And everyone who's interested in infrastructure, this is it. This is the tutorial. Ward Nye, who is chairman and CEO of Martin Marietta Materials, it is really great to have you on the show, sir. Jim, thank you so much. Absolutely. Guys, you got to go through this the, the day. You'll learn so much, and you got to understand who's really creating the jobs in this country. It's the private sector. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up. What can the market's fear index tell you about where your portfolio is headed? Kramer serves up a VIX fix next. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Last week, we saw bond yields rising, so everybody freaked out about inflation, right? Remember, that was that inflation scare I told you about? Stock market got hammered, especially the formerly beloved growth stocks. Remember, they sold the growth. They went to the value. Today, bond yields pulled back, so stocks exploded higher. How do we chart a course through a moment like this one, a highly emotional moment? I mean, you can try to figure out the macro. What kind of inflation are we looking at? Is it copper? Is it lumber? Where are interest rates headed? Will the Federal Reserve stick to its guns when it comes to letting the economy overheat because they want jobs created? But it's very hard to get that kind of assessment right. This macro stuff is too political, right? Politics is anathema to start, start with. I hate it. As, it, it you know, I'd rather figure out GME than politics. Plus, even if you nail every particular, it won't give you much insight into the stock market's short-term gyrations. That's why whenever the action gets this volatile or this crazed, I want to remove my emotions from the equation. I want to take a more quantitative approach. What do I do? I turn to the charts. And that's why we're going off the charts with the help of this guy, Mark Sebastian, who's 
Every time I brought him in, he has really nailed this. He is a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com. He writes with me at RealMoney.com. You know, I blog there. I've only written 40,000 pieces, but that's okay. To get a better read on this market's volatility. Sebastian's our resident expert in the CBOE volatility index. That's the VIX for short, which we then always explain as the fear gauge because it tends to rise whenever investors are freaking out. And that's exactly what happened last week when the averages were rolling over. Although with stocks rising again today, the VIX pulled back. This is important to keep that in mind. For Sebastian, the big question here is whether we're dealing with a volatility spike, okay, or a volatility swell. Spike, swell. A VIX spike is what happens when the fear gauge makes a hard move up out of nowhere and then gives it away almost as fast. It represents a moment of panic that you got to buy because it quickly subsides. A VIX swell, on the other hand, is what happens when the volatility index slowly rallies over a two- to three-week period, usually while the market's rallying, too. Ooh, that is almost always a bad sign because the VIX and the S&P 500 are supposed to move in opposite directions. Whenever you see them going in the same way, it means the market's about to course correct. In a VIX swell, the stock market eventually peaks, which sends the volatility index spiking still higher. Now, if you want stocks to go higher than a VIX spike, Well, that is great news. We've seen a bunch of these in the last year, and they tend to trigger some pretty substantial rallies, like today. Okay, so let's look at this uh, in a dispassionate way. I want you and how about that? Was that a great chart? I mean, I hope you took a picture of it, snapped it, and sent it to all your kids and stuff, like snap, you know? All right, anyway, or maybe to your parents. Got younger, a lot of people watching now. Uh, uh, We're going to do the S&P 500 and the volatility index. We'll do some charting again. This is going back to to late May, uh, last May. There was a volatility spike. In early June, see this? Boom. When the market experienced one final moment of, of COVID panic. I don't know. Was it a hedge fund probably came on, right? It was a hedge fund probably came on. Rich, rich hedge fund guy trying to keep you in your chains, right? Comes on, scares people. And then, uh, if not, you get a magnificent run. And what happened here? We saw something very similar. That's what that spike is. We like spikes, right? In November, we saw the same thing. See the spike? And then, boom. Okay, we have a nice run. That's why Sebastian's confident that a VIX spike needs to be treated as a buying opportunity. Buy, we buy, because they're spikes, all right? But what about a VIX swell, where the volatility builds and builds as the market chugs higher before everything blows up in your face? Check out this same pair of charts with a different area of emphasis, okay? Sebastian points out that we got a miniature VIX swell in August and September. The volatility index starts creeping higher, right? Even as the S&P continues to go higher. And then, boom, stocks sell off hard and spend the next three weeks rolling over, right? Before that, there was a huge VIX swell last February, right before the COVID crash. Man, was this ever a tell. This is incredible. Even as we were seeing terrifying developments out of China, S&P 500 kept climbing, all right? But then about halfway through, the volatility index starts rising. A week later, the volatility explodes, and we spent a month getting obliterated. Swell. Not spike, swell. Even after the first pick up, pick, pick up in volatility, the market still gave you a chance to bail. From February 28th to March 4th, the S&P 500 rallied 175 points. However, the VIX kept rising, and that's what told you that this rebound was temporary. If you were nimble enough, that was a great moment. I went back and looked at this for a piece I wrote for Real Money. I could not believe how bullish people were. They were so bullish right at the worst time. You're supposed to ring the register. You could swap back in a few weeks later. But right here, I mean, everyone was like, don't worry. It's like, and the president was like, hey, it's all good. And forget China and it's Wuhan and they're not coming here. And all the verbiage from Wall Street was bye, bye, bye. 
And that was happening. Sebastian brings all this up because the volatility index has been chugging higher for a couple of weeks. Then last week, it surged from 22 to 31. That's at its highest on Thursday. So the question is, are we dealing with a bountiful VIX spike or a terrifying VIX swell? I want you to take a look at this pair of charts, the VIX and the SP 500 of the past months. Based on this action here, Sebastian thinks last week was a classic VIX spike, meaning today's rally is the real deal and that we could have more upside. Look at what happened here. Sure, the volatility index had been running for more than a week ahead of the pop on Thursday. But crucially, the market was going down during that period. That's what we want, okay? That's okay. The VIX and the S&P were not moving in the same direction. The danger sign that warns us we're dealing with a volatility swell. See, we didn't want to get in that period like Feb 28, where the market was going up and the VIX was going, that's, that's a nightmare. On top of that, the VIX closed down on Friday. And then it tumbled. It closed down. Remember how bad that close was? Ah. Uh-uh. That close was not real, it turns out, because the VIX tumbled 16.6 today. This quick pullback is exactly what you'd expect from a volatility spike, a short-term panic that vanishes almost overnight. Sebastian points out that the volatility index is now back to the levels where it was trading before it took off. What's it all mean? Based on the actions, Sebastian thinks we're coming out of a benign VIX spike, not a malignant VIX swell. In other words, we're not in the early stages of a big sell-off. If anything, we just had a short-term shakeout, and if the last three VIX spikes are any guide, Sebastian believes the S&P could be running Get this, new all-time high headed our way. Bottom line, don't let last week's inflation scare freak you out, according to Sebastian. The charts, according to Mark, suggest that the panic's over and the market is beginning to roar. I want to go to Jeff in California, please. Jeff. Hey, Jimmy Chill. I want to thank you so much for recommending Roku a few weeks ago. I bought 30K more uh, last week during the big pullback. Hey, Jim, the stock I'm calling about now is uh, Pinterest. Uh, it's a, I'm a very young 64-year-old, and, Jim, I had no idea what the heck Pinterest was. <laughs> and then my son said, to buy it, buy it. So when I researched it online, Jim, it yeah. said that Pinterest grew by 97% in 2016 and now has almost 200 million active users making it the fastest-growing social network. So question is, Jim, with a huge pullback last week, should I buy Pinterest on the dip? Oh, look, I like Pinterest so much. I think Silberman's terrific. Now, here's why Pinterest snuck up on people. It's the international. People over, all over the globe love this thing. It's kinder. It's gentler. It really is. I mean, I'm not trying to make fun of that stuff because, I actually, you, know, you know, Jimmy Chill cares about that. Pinterest is a place that the advertisers love because there's no Zuckerberg there, like, you know, attacking Australia. Australia. Who fights with Australia? Leaves me cold. Pinterest does not fight with Australia. They're not going to fight with Canada. They're not going to fight with Greenland. Denmark is okay with them. I mean, you know, that's who they are. They like the Norwegians. Pinterest is sweet. I like sweet. John in Michigan. John. Hello, Jim. Hello, John. Thank you for taking my call. All right. After hearing your investment experience. Yes. My question is about Teladoc. Ticker TD. Hey, they crushed that bad boy, didn't they? Holy cow. People are saying they got competition. People are saying that, you know what, there's a pricing going to be is causing a problem. Buy it. This is like the way that people are going to get health care. It's too expensive. Hey, I went to the hospital recently. I think it was like $989,000 for like a, you know, a catheter. Ah, And those don't even feel good. All right. Last week's market action took investors on a wild ride. Could it continue? 
Not likely, according to Sebastian. They suggest that the S&P could be eyeing a new high. Hey, yo, how much the pack show? Mad money ahead, including my sit-down with a company uh, to bet. It's going to benefit uh, as we rethink the way we work. And then we called last week's lineup featuring Twitter and Fisker, Salesforce, NVIDIA, Airbnb. We called it the night of the stars. But are they in an atmosphere all their own? We got to take a closer look. You know, you have the show, you throw it away, then there's the next show. No, I'm not doing that one in a can stuff. I'm leaving that to string beans. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tech stocks that sold off last week have come roaring back, as I said they would, with SailPoint Technologies leading the way. Now, this is a cybersecurity company. A business has been booming over the last year. Businesses have been forced to embrace remote work, leaving them open to all kinds of new vulnerabilities. SailPoint handles identity management solutions. It's like uh, Octor ping identity, except for they also use artificial intelligence to ensure that the right people have access to the right data. But there's another unique angle here. This company has only recently started transitioning to a cloud-based software as a service business model. You know that we like cloud more than we like on-premise. We know the transition is going very well because SailPoint imported a terrific quarter last week. They're 13 straight top and bottom line B. Even better, management rolled out some new metrics for the business. Annual recurring revenue up 40% year over year. Software as a service revenue up 58%. And then on Friday, the company held its first ever analyst day. I liked it. Clearly went well. Stock surged another 7%. So, can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Mark McLean, the co-founder and CEO of SailPoint Technologies, to get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. McLean, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. It's such a pleasure to be back. Thanks well, for having me on. Uh, it's great that you're here, Mark. One of the things that really struck me when I read through your analyst day is that I was worried, well, wait a second, they got to, you know, Oct is there, Ping's there. There is so much business still on these old legacy systems that seem to not be able to handle the bad guys. <laughs> You're so right. A lot, a lot of what customers are experiencing is just their, their old solutions that they kind of had limped along with for a while. have really proven to be ineffective as, as the world is rushing toward digital transformation and cloud. And that's really driving a lot of business our way. But this worries me. A lot of these companies are banks. They're big corporations that have information that I don't want that bad guys could use against us. We saw what happened when that solar winds. I mean, how can these companies actually believe in this day and age that they aren't going to be broken into? Well, I think that's a great point. There's a sense of the old realm. I think we, we might have talked about this before was sort of a castle moat, right? I've got right. a perimeter right. around me protecting my my big safe data center and that world's just over, right? The, the data's everywhere in the cloud, you know, Amazon, Azure, whatever. And so really identity, which the reason I know you talked to, to the folks at Ping and Okta and others, identity has become kind of a new central control point that people frankly just hadn't paid enough attention to. And companies are rapidly grappling with how do they get their arms around identity and, you know, interestingly enough, Jim, I think the initial focus was on as I enable lots of these new apps, as I get my business set up to connect to all kinds of stuff in the cloud, the first thing was how do I enable that? How do I give mm-hmm. people access, you know, which was how do I ensure it's really Jim that's knocking right, on the door right. that I should let in? And then there's this whole multi-factor authentication. I know you've talked about that, right? We're all used to that. Now my phone pings me back and makes sure it's really me, right? But, but the secondary problem that I think people are just getting their arms around is, okay, so I let Jim in the building. Where can Jim go? What can Jim do? That's the domain of, of SailPoint, right? We worry about this true security of that identity. What data can you or can't you see change? And that's where we see so much interest from the market now. 
Well, you've got some very savvy clients. Sometimes I, I like to think, OK, who does GE use? Because Larry Culp is so smart. T-Mobile, such a smart company. Obviously, Humana, the, every time I've ever seen their name, they're associated. They're very drilled down on this. So, I mean, these companies, is it a bake off again against other companies or are they just switching who they currently have? Sometimes it's a little bit of a bake-off. Sometimes, as you pointed out, there's legacy players out there, Oracle, IBM, CA, that we're coming in and displacing. Sometimes they're looking at a couple of other alternatives, but we have a very strong position in the market. As you rattled off some some great names there, we're very fortunate to have a lot of very, very high-end customers around the globe in in a lot of industries. So they can quickly cross-reference us with someone like them, and they feel good about the progress uh, those companies have made in their identity security journey, and, and that often is a pretty quick path for us. Let me ask you, George Kirsch has been on the show a number of times. He's an outspoken person, as we know, co-founder and CEO of CrowdStrike. When he was in Washington, he directly, uh, he said, inherent weaknesses in Microsoft's archaic identity authentication processes. You've got a very good relationship with Microsoft. I had never heard of Microsoft being as cascaded like that. I mean, fair? Is that fair? Well, yeah, I tell you, I mean, to, to the credit of Microsoft, they've obviously done a tremendous job re-swizzling their business toward the cloud, right? Phenomenal progress in a short time. But there's a lot of customers that still use a lot of Microsoft infrastructure that is maybe a little more dated. And so I think, again, those customers are rapidly moving to secure that initial, you know, sign-in and authentication. But often that's where they turn toward SailPoint as well. That's our the relationship we have with Microsoft is, hey, can SailPoint help me really govern and secure all that access? So I know that, you know, when Jim logs in, Jim's getting actually to the right stuff and being kept away from the stuff he shouldn't access. Well, that's what you need to do to protect yourself. Okay, so here's what I'm looking at, Mark. You tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, So you're a bad guy. You're a parking lot and you're looking at who's got the uh, buttons down, who's locked and who isn't. And you don't go after the lock guy. That's silly. You look for the guy that's got the car, you know, the car door open. When I hear about the on-prem guys, I'm thinking, you know what? Hey, that car door's open. That's the guy I'm going to hit. I'm not going to hit the sale point guy. I mean, don't these companies know that's what's happening? Oh, it's it's such a good point. I think more and more companies are trying to figure out how do I discourage the bad guys from attacking me versus someone else. And some of that is when the bad guy assesses your posture, do they feel like you're an easy mark, as they say? Right. And I think a lot of what we're trying to do is to give our customers a, a multi-level layer of confidence that when they work with us, they really are sure that they know that the right people have access to the right thing. Let, let's extend your parking lot, Jim. So uh, let's go to a badge analogy, right? Okay. One of the worst things that happens, right? I'm, I'm in the parking lot of the building and I find a badge on the, on the ground. Well, if that badge just lets me into the building, but I can't get past the lobby, I can't do much damage, right? Right. But if I can get into the building and get all the way through to the data center, maybe the special room where they keep the most important servers, that's pretty bad. If the, if the badge of any employee could get them anywhere in the building, that would be very insecure from a physical access standpoint. It's the same concept, right? I want to make sure that the people that have access have what they need to do their job, no more, no less. Only a few people should get access to that server room, right? Right. And so that's the, what we do. It's like the, the authentication process is, hey, does your badge let you in the building or not? We're, we're making sure that once you're in the building, you can't go to that server room. You're not supposed to. Again, virtual concept here, not a real server room. And uh, and that's that's really what the customers are figuring out is it's that layer of security that ensures we know exactly who's trying to get to what information. That's what we want to control. So if the badge does get lost, right. we're not overexposed. Well, that's why we got to hope. We want total truth. We want authentication. We don't want people 
closing because we see what happens. The chain right. reaction is miserable. Mark McLean, co-founder and CEO of SailPoint Technologies, with a huge amount of business and a great analyst day. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate the opportunity. Look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. SailPoint doing so well. But look, I've got to tell you, CrowdStrike doing well. Palo Alto Network's doing well. Why? Because there's so many legacy systems that are not built for the current state of the bad guys who are so smart versus the good guys who are using old legacy systems. They have money's back in for Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski down over the lightning round. Good one, David in Florida. David, hit me, hit me, hit me. Yeah, Mr. Kramer, I want to talk to you about your boy, David, the brightest and smartest marketing brain, Portnoy, in Penn National Gaming. I thought you were going to say me. Now I'm really down. It's been a tough day. People have been trashing me on Twitter. Penn National is one of the great stories ever. And I've got to tell you, let's just let's let's just be honest. Who called this thing? Who said it? Even more than Portnoy, I liked it. Even more than Jay Snowden. When this stock went to three, I said triple down. And now it's at 126. And Portnoy knows when even I thought he might be losing hope, I said no. It's going higher. And by the way, it's not done. A couple of states about around the corner are going to prove. Now I'm going to Jack and Ohio. Jack. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course, of course. Hey you, br- hey, you brought it up a couple months ago with a buy and the ex-dividends coming up. Is it a good time to add it to my holdings? B-E-S, B-N-G Oh, B-N-G Foods. Foods. You know, they bought that Crisco. They paid a lot for that. Smucker got rid of that thing. But maybe they have something, you know. My wife who uses Crisco to make really bad coffee. I mean, she's out of town. It's okay. Um, it, my daughter doesn't use it. Now, here's the deal with B&G, Okay. They have to come on. Dave Wenner has to come on. He used to come all the time. Then there was his CEO. He came on. I really liked the guy. And then, like, I don't know, he kind of went away. So, Wenner, please come on. Come on, Dave. We were always good to you. Let's go to David in Illinois. David! Dr. Kramer. It's Dave! Hear me now? Hear me now? Believe me later. Edward Life Sciences, EW. Oh, my God. You know, come on, Dave. You don't have to crack the chest cavity open in order to be able to fix a heart. What is that worth? Those guys at EW are terrific. I want to buy the stock right here. It's down right now because the reopening trade. You know? Hey, well, so was Zoom. Let's go to Guy in Pennsylvania. Guy. Jimmy Chill. Hope you're doing well. The Chill. I bought the this- Chill is upset. I've only blocked 40 people. I've got just a few hours to block another 60. I'm letting people trash me. Even I even said you can trash my mom. At one time only. I love it. I, yeah, one time only. I bought this stock. Okay, fair. I bought this right. stock a few months ago with the hope they'd be able to monetize in the same way Facebook has. Okay. So far, it's up 31%. Tell me your thoughts on Snap. Buy more, uh, uh, hold, or sell? No, no. Evan Spiegel, whom I thought was a poser. I admit, I thought he was a poser. He's the real deal. He is, and that company's doing well, and people want a 50 billion, 5 billion like, pictures every like 28 seconds. He's good. He's good. I got my picture with him. I got my picture with him to show my daughter's just dad. Dad, he's really great. That was it, though. All right, let's, we're not done. Let's go to Michael in Georgia. Michael. 
Chill man, how's it going? Chill man be king. What's going on with you? Better than yesterday. What? What happened yesterday? Yeah, with the increased day? popularity of the plant-based food industry, I'm wondering what you think about the company Tattooed Chef, TTCF. Look, Tattooed Chef is good, but come on. If we're going to do that industry, we got to go with the man. we got to go with Ethan. we got to go with Beyond Meat. And by the way, speaking of posers, anybody with GMO is a poser. You got me? And that is impossible for me. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Kramer breaks down a cavalcade of winners so you can decide which is best for your portfolio. Next. Tonight. Jim Cramer takes a star turn. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Mad Money. The man I call Da Vinci, the man himself. Jensen Wong, Fisker. Yes, the EV company that some bold souls believe will give Tesla the first real run for its money. Ned Siegel is the CFO of Twitter. We want to double our development velocity by the end of 2023. Brian Chesky, co-founder, chairman, CEO of Airbnb. Shooting star, that's why you are my favorite. I love just who you are. You know what we did? We called it the night of the stars last Thursday when we spoke to Twitter, to Salesforce, Fisker, NVIDIA, and Airbnb in a single show. But the problem with the night of stars is they all tend to blend together like some sort of Super Bowl halftime show. So tonight I want to take them one by one because these are some very important companies and they impact your portfolio and your thought process. So let's start with the two the market really got wrong. Let's start with NVIDIA and Salesforce. The market got these wrong. NVIDIA had just reported a superb quarter the night before, but the conference call brought out lingering fears of 2018 when the company got hit with a slowdown in demand from cryptocurrency mining and the data center. While the data center quickly bounced back, the crypto business got hit hard when Bitcoin crashed back then, and it left NVIDIA with the notorious inventory glut. This moment, people, is nothing like 2018. Data center spending is now accelerating. And for what it is worth, the crypto business is on fire, but it can't be considered nearly as meaningful as 2018. So the market was wrong on both counts. NVIDIA has even introduced a new line of crypto-specific graphic cards to avoid the oversupply issues seen in 2018. And memo to Ryan Cohen, that's what GameStop should be doing, is selling those crypto cards. Come on. General Sherman, please listen to me. The only th- that's the George Sherman, he's the CEO. The only thing that's up in the air is whether NVIDIA can close on the ARM Holdings acquisition. That would give it a huge foothold in mobile, if not the whole dominant foothold. Mind you, listen, I doubt in CEO Jensen Wong's ability to close on the Mellanox deal, which he ultimately pulled off. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice. But even if Jensen fails to get it, I think NVIDIA's stock is just too cheap versus next year's earnings estimates, which makes it a buy. How about CRM? The insanity of this decline of Salesforce is hard to put into words. Anyone who runs a subscription business, as I did, knows that deferred revenue is the key metric. And Salesforce's deferred revenue is much, 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 much better than expected. Same, uh, there was worry about the Slack acquisition holding the stock back. But no one integrates big deals like Mark Benioff. Think about Tableau Data. Think about MuleSoft. Just imagine what happens if Dell and HP decide to load up their products with Slack rather than Microsoft Teams. Cross-selling. Next up, we've got the stars that just won't quit. Fisker. It's up to another 27% since our interview. Uh, now, it, it was good. 27% good? I don't know. That said, I like the concept. Fisker's got the best order designer in the world. 
coupled with great electric vehicle technology and an asset-light business model. They partnered with two great manufacturers, Magna, who is brilliant, and Foxconn. Wow, finally doing some good here to actually build the cars. The Ocean, their electric SUV, is one of the most beautiful and exciting cars I've ever seen. I think the price is right for the car. And in the electric vehicle space, that means the stock might still be undervalued. Now, the two best for last, Twitter and Airbnb. I think that Ned Siegel, the CFO of Twitter, is sitting on the biggest raw gem in this entire market, the dark horse contender for the fourth largest advertising platform after Facebook, Amazon, and Google. Historically, Twitter spent way too little on technology. They did a big uh, convert bond today, so they got even a billion and a quarter now to spend. The company's finally doing what it's right, doing right about subscription and direct ads. And within a few years, believe it or not, I think those businesses will be so huge that they'll push aside the current revenue streams. Now, I know it's hard to value, but what matters is that Twitter's growing rapidly now at the same time that its ads are becoming essential for consumer packaged goods companies. Sure, the stock's had an amazing run, and it seems absurd up here, so I want to recommend waiting for a pullback. But without a broad market-wide sell-off, I do not think you're going to get a chance. Twitter's being re-rated upward at the same time that Facebook's being re-rated downward. That's no coincidence. Twitter's a C student getting Bs, which is much more exciting for Wall Street than an A student that keeps getting A's. Money managers love paying up for improvement. Finally, there is Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, who explained how his business model has maybe the best leverage I've ever seen in a scalable enterprise. And I mean that. He monetizes something he doesn't even own, your house, and he does it on a single platform that doesn't cost very much to operate. Compare that to Facebook. They generate, you generate Facebook, but they still have to do all this other stuff. Airbnb is also much cheaper than a hotel. And you have to expect travel will come roaring back once the pandemic's over. And you'll want to go with friends this time, staying in a house, not some soulless, expensive hotel. No wonder the stock surged 13% on Friday. And a night of stars, Airbnb was the standout. I think all five are buys. Though, I, like I said with Fisker, pull back, please. But only two of them are on sale right now, and that's Salesforce and NVIDIA. Those are my favorites, followed by Airbnb, Twitter, and then Fisker in that order, only because Fisker had a big spike. I like to say there's always the bull market somewhere. And I promise to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.